Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. Thank you for listening to the Food in the Edge podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, as it will help us connect with more people like you. We release our podcasts fortnightly, usually at the beginning of the month and midway through the month. Our podcasts focus on food and its importance in our society. Each fortnight, we talk to different speakers from around the globe on different food issues that are affecting them. If you're interested in these issues, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you have any comments on the subject of the podcast we were discussing today, please share your ideas with us. You can do so on Twitter and it's at Food on the Edge or on Instagram, which is the same. Or you can also leave a comment on Facebook. Our hashtags are Join the Conversation and FOTE 2021. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the different food issues that we're discussing each fortnight. Is there a particular issue you want us to talk about? Just get in touch. So let's continue the conversation on Twitter and you can find us at Food on the Edge. If you'd like to be in with a chance to win a copy of my cookbook, The Irish Cookbook, share a screenshot of this podcast on your Instagram stories and tag at Food on the Edge. Hi, everyone, and you're very welcome to the Food on the Edge podcast. Today, I am talking to the wonderful Amanda Cohn, who is based in New York. She's a restaurant there called Dirt Candy, which I've eaten in, and it is a vegetarian restaurant. If she'd call it that, she may she may differ with me, um, but she's an exceptional cook, and she has spoken at Food on the Edge a number of times. Hey, Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me I- on. Wonderful. It's good to good to talk to you. I haven't been in New York since COVID. Um, I, I think know. I just I just escaped um, the last <laughs> time I was there in January and uh, February 2022. And I suppose it's hard to do these podcasts at the moment and not start with the big massive question. And um, I sub uh, and rather than saying this, was how did you get on over the last two years? Uh, did uh, did the last two years make you realize anything that? you hadn't thought of before or has it changed your outlook on um on food and the and the food industry in, in New York? Oh, that's such a big question. Uh you <laughs> said there was going to be no hard questions. You lied to me, JP. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um you know it's, it's it's tricky because on the one hand um it's sort of forced if sort of in the process of surviving, which it has been surviving. And, and we and still are. are you still in, do you feel you're still in that process? Like, you're yeah. St- yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're on the other side of it, but I wouldn't say we're out of it yet. Um, it's uh, sort of forced me to love and hate the industry <laughs> all at once. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been a real experience working through it, working through it with uh, my employees and even with my customers who have been, extraordinarily supportive. Um, I don't think we would have made it through uh, without them and not because I needed their money, but really just having them show up, uh, some of them week after week, uh, even when we were serving outside in the snow and uh, in snowsuits uh, and sort of realizing uh, that we meant something to uh, our our guests. Uh, But on the other hand, you sort of take a step back and you're like, oh, this is so hard. Why am I doing this every day? Um, I wish I had a stay-at-home job. <laughs> um, and just how hard the city makes it and regulations and uh, all the the ins and outs of the business that, uh, you know, we talk about how hard how hard it is to run a restaurant. And I, I think it's incredibly hard to run any business. But there is something about having 
beyond 24 hours a day and to have to do all the other jobs that we have as restaurant owners, you know, like plumber, plumbing and being an electrician and uh, press. And, you know, for me, I spent a lot of time fighting for the industry and realizing that this shouldn't be a fight. It should just be a, a natural thing that, you know, uh, Congress wants to save restaurants and um, how I think disposable restaurants are in the minds of so many people like, oh, here today, gone tomorrow. And during the pandemic, people were so supportive and like, oh, yeah, uh, of course, we don't want restaurants to fail. But at the same time, we haven't seen that sort of output on the, the federal level. And so it's exhausting. And, and it did... Um... I mean, I followed a little bit of it, but in the end, did like did Congress give uh, some sort of supports? Or I mean, I, I suppose I feel a little privileged in Ireland because, in spite of how bad it was and giving out, and like we did get supports for rent and um, and some sort of payment protection plan for staff that we were able to to hold on to to some. But but how was it from uh, from 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 that side of that side? Well, we did get. Uh, funding, and as did most of the country through the pay, uh, payroll protection program. So that lasted for about a year. And it was, I mean, I don't think any restaurant would be here without it. And it, it really did cover your payroll and rent. Um, but uh, we, there was another bill called the Restaurant Relief Fund, which was funded, but it was only funded for about a third of the restaurants that needed it. And uh, un unfortunately, there's two thirds of the restaurants that didn't get it. And so it's really set up this um, paradigm of like, you know, the haves and the have nots. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I, I unfortunately didn't receive it. Um, but, you know, let's say the restaurants around the corner from me did. And that makes it incredibly hard to be competitive, to be able to, you know, continue paying your rent, to be able to pay your staff competitively. Um, and one of the things that we realized is, how little sort of anybody knew about restaurants, you know, we're like, Oh, we operate on slim, these razor slim margins. And nobody knew sort of what that meant. And we would go to Congress and be like, you know, razor slim margins. Yes. Maybe we are all bad business people, but it also means that for all the money we take in, we are putting so much more out into the economy. You know, mm -hmm. like if you operate on a 3% margin, that means that for every dollar you take in 97 cents <laughs> goes back out into the economy. And that makes us this, incredibly um, sort of important and central part of the ecosystem of the United States and sort of getting Congress to realize that has been tremendously difficult. And uh, like, were you literally uh, like talking to representatives and like, from, um, and I'm telling this in like in person is like face to face. Not in person uh, yeah, over yeah. Zoom many, many times. Oh, I, sorry. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some actually people did manage to get to Washington, D.C., but uh, now a lot of Zooms with representatives. I've testified in front of like in these sort of sessions of numerous times. It's terrifying. They all sort of stare wow. at you and you're like, I am just a little restaurant owner. <laughs> so, I, and I suppose, uh, how, how do you feel now? And how, how is, I suppose, how is New York now is it is it coming back to life or, um, or is it still is there still i know in galway and in, in ireland there's still i feel like we're we're definitely on the on the on the right side of it but i still I, a lot of people are still in between and i still it's it's kind of like the like a like the opposite of a honeymoon i don't know what it, what the opposite <laughs> of a honeymoon is but it's in that honeymoon period but it's like a bad honeymoon yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, New York is slowly coming back. I don't think we're seeing as many tourists, which is, you know, uh, I think same for you is I'm a yeah. tourist destination. So that, 
that makes it a bit definitely dirt candy is not an everyday like I'm gonna go there and have like a meal after work once a week kind of place. Mm. Um, so that's where we're still seeing some, but it's only let's say 10% down from where it could be. Uh, okay. we're not filling all of our 5:30 and 9 or 10 30 uh slots, uh, but that middle period is still really busy. What I feel mostly is that people are exhausted by this and oh. that the expectations when they go out to restaurants are either we exceed them or they're like, well, this wasn't what it was like before the pandemic. And they're much pickier. And we're like, yeah, it's not like what it was like before the pandemic because we are not pre-pandemic. We are living in a post-pandemic world and, and everything is different. And, you know, we'll get these sort of comments like, well, I understand why you have to do this, but I liked it better before. And we're like, yeah, so did we. <laughs> before millions of people had died and, you know, all these things. We're like, yeah, we get it, but, you know, this is what we can offer you right now. And and, and just to, 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 to leave COVID and, and, uh, and to go back all those years, and I suppose I like to talk about the on the podcast uh, where I suppose where people have come from and um, what got them into cooking and I suppose what makes them, what makes them, who they are. And I suppose, do you want to like, how did your, how did your own culinary journey start? And even, even in terms of growing up, I mean, did, did you come from a food family or uh, was it just something that you found that you loved food and then, and then you entered into uh, along the way in the industry? Yeah. I mean, I definitely had a family that liked to eat and it was a, a center of conversation of what we were eating next. And all our vacations were based around food. Uh, but I started to like to cook when I was, I don't know, 13. And I had a couple of jobs in restaurants, uh, when I was younger. And you, you, um, you were I, born in Toronto, Amanda. Yeah. I was born in Ottawa, JP, Ottawa, but I moved sorry. to Toronto when Apology. I was 11. <laughs> um, Which is a bit smaller. No, a bit, like Ottawa is, it's like, it's a, is it a hundred thousand or like, you know, it's a bit more, is it? it it's more, but it, it is much smaller. Uh, but it's yeah. very, um, because it's the capital of Canada yeah. and it's where, you know, all the embassies are, it's, uh, the food was delicious. <laughs> there was restaurants of all different kinds there. Um, and really, I really got into cooking because after I graduated university, I did not know what I wanted to do <laughs> whatsoever. And did and you study cooking in university or something else? No, I studied anthropology. Ah, uh, generally as bad as myself studying other things and then yeah, realizing, exactly. yeah. I don't want to to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And what I really wanted to do was travel. And I was like, well, I really need a skill if I'm going to, you know, pay for my way around the world. And the only thing that I thought, you know, I could really do was cook. And so then I went to cooking school and fell in love with it. Really, really fell in love with cooking school and the uh, whole uh, energy of the kitchen. And I loved being a line cook. And uh, that's, you know, took me to where I am today. It took me many years to travel. And was there, did you, did you study that in Toronto or was it in Ottawa? No, it was in New York. I moved to New York 30 years ago for university. That's where I studied ah. anthropology. Okay. And then, uh, so what was, what was your, like your first few uh, years um, in, in New York cooking, like um, as a, as a, as a line cook in New York, I suppose you can really <laughs> write a whole book on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was such a different time, right? Uh, and yeah. I mean, and being, being a, being a woman as well, I mean, I suppose we still forget, but um, even still now, there is the. I'm I'm glad we have we have we we have more women in the kitchen now. But there was a time even five years ago where it had just been too many men in the kitchen, and 
And I always find when there's too many men, then there's just too much testosterone. <laughs> and I, like you really need of all the industries, you need balance. But what, how was it? How was it as a as a as a young female chef in in New York? I mean, to be honest, at the time, I didn't realize that there it, it was so strange. And I, one of the things that was different at the time was, you know, there weren't that many restaurants. So there weren't that many jobs. You sort of just took what you could get and everybody took what they could get. There was no in demand for cooks. I remember staying at places for way longer than I wanted to because there was just nothing else on offer. Um, and I, I think I had probably had a slightly different experience than most, uh, well, certainly female cooks at the time. But I, my first couple of jobs were really um, in vegetarian kitchens, mm. which tend to skew more yes. towards, uh, they tend to have more females in the kitchen. And, and so there was always, it was always a lot of camaraderie and there didn't feel like there was that much competition. And I didn't notice my sex as much or my gender as much. And, and then as time went on, what I realized as I kept going into more kitchens is that there just wasn't that many women uh, in leadership roles. And, and that struck me. Yeah. And that, I, I would still argue that is still, there's still a lack of leadership. And it's not that there isn't, like there are, I, I think the last time I checked, there are more females or, or women in the food industry in the world. There's just isn't as many in leadership positions. Um, is, and uh, Yeah. Well, no, there isn't. You know, one of the things that you in Ireland have such a different system because women can actually take uh, time off maternity, and yeah. yeah, maternity leave and their job is held for them. And, and then they're able to come back and they can do that a number of times. Whereas here, if you're uh, a woman and you get pregnant uh, and nobody's holding your job for you, we just have, that's not a system uh, that we have set up sort of on the federal uh, uh, government uh, side of things. Is that the case in all industries or, or is it, it do do some, I presume like the, the some of the bigger industries like the the Googles and the Facebooks, do they do they do that? Yeah. It's just so yeah. I mean yeah. we can't we can't mine someone's job in the sense that we like someone else does come in. If they come back, we can they still have their job. But um it's not like it is in um some of the, the larger companies where they can actually pay. I mean the government get um give give people about 200 euro a week but the bigger companies can match that and then give like you can have 400 a week if you're uh if you're um on maternity but it's still it is still hard i mean it's if you're going from working and then all of a sudden you you have a new child and you have 200 220 euro a week it's um yeah. it's difficult and also and also in terms of your career and it's uh i was just talking to someone this morning about about covid and, and working all the time and um, I think one of the things that COVID maybe realizes is, is is trying to delegate and step back a bit more. And but I, I think that's something definitely uh, I think is an issue when when for for female chefs and um, that 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 break where it could be three years. You know, it could yeah. be, and it's very hard to just step back in because um, everyone else has been working working away, and I don't think that that gets enough. Um, airtime uh in in the debate i mean sometimes it's uh, there it's uh it's not um it's not acknowledged um so much at all no and certainly in the states there is absolutely no support <laughs> we are uh not a supportive uh country in that way and is that different in some states i mean are some states a bit more supportive or it's just across the board that just kind of you fend for yourself 
Yeah, you kind of fend for yourself. I mean, lots of restaurants have great policies in place, yeah. and but the restaurant industry isn't re- really regulated either. So yeah. we're not really considered. I mean, we are an industry, which is one of the things that came out during COVID is that we were the second biggest employer in the country after the government. That's huge. And yet it's still sort of like the Wild West. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that regulates us nationally or um, really throughout uh, individually through the states. Cool. And the, in, you, you mentioned where working in vegetarian restaurants. Like, have you always been um, like uh, into vegetarian cooking and or did that? Was that something, I mean, what brought you to, to open up Dirt Candy? Was it like a, an ethical position or was it just, a, I suppose, um, more of a love for, for uh, vegetables? No, it's mostly that I was terrified of meat. Okay. Um, yeah. Are you, are, you, are you vegetarian yourself? No, no I didn't. You've seen I know, me. I didn't, yes, I know. I couldn't remember. I haven't seen you in so long and I was pretty sure that you weren't. And I was like, oh my God, maybe she is now. Um, but um yeah, so so I suppose like how 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 does that um how does that sit with you when you're like as as a vegetarian owner um or, or a non-vegetarian owning a vegetarian restaurant? Does do people ever kind of ask you about your your uh, your your methods or like or your <laughs> or your what what brought you to the, to, the, to that point? Yeah, people are fascinated that I own dirt candy and I'm not vegetarian, which to be fair, I would say I'm mostly vegetarian. And since I eat, you know, five days a week, this is the You're only welcome. place I eat. Yeah. Um, and I don't, the reason I really stopped eating meat was all my friends were like, this was like 35 years ago, were like, oh, you know, vegetarian, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, and then I went vegetarian. And, and as it turned out, it really didn't change my diet whatsoever. I didn't like meat. We just didn't have a name for it. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't, I never really ate it a lot. It wasn't my, uh, wasn't my jam. And uh, when I, I went to the, a vegetarian cooking school, um, because I really, the idea for me of sort of working with animals uh, was traumatic. I, I have, I think there are lots of uh, people feel this way. Like I couldn't deal with bones. So mm. like having to butcher something was too much for me. Um, and a- after a while, being a vegetarian chef and working in a vegetarian restaurant, I just, I couldn't eat any more vegetarian meals. It was, you know, 30 years ago or I guess this time was probably 20 years ago. I, you know, it's like the era of the grilled portobello mushroom yeah. <laughs> substitute as a substitute for steak or whatever the protein was. And, you know, a side of rice or couscous and then some, a red pepper puree. Like if I never see a red pepper puree again, I will be a very satisfied human being. Well, if uh, I for, never see a grilled portobello mushroom, I'll, I will join you. Yeah. yeah. I, actually, I was vegetarian for seven years as well. And I went back to meat, but I, yeah, that was the, the eating crisps because there was no other like when you're have a looking for a snack or something and yeah and uh cheese sandwiches there was just nothing uh there's just no nothing mm. exactly and so i realized to become a better chef i had to start eating like the proteins that chefs cared about like there was just no way and when i this was sort of just around the opening of dirt candy um and i didn't want it to be just a vegetarian restaurant i wanted it to be a restaurant that appealed to everybody because certainly at the time, and this was 15 years ago, which I can't believe that Dirt Candy's almost been open for that long. Well, what year uh, did you open in? 2008. Ah, okay, okay. That's the same year. Yeah, yeah it's the same year we opened Kava. Okay. So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 
makes me feel so old. <laughs> I know, I know. I was asking, I was asking one of the one of our staff uh, because we were saying, "Oh my God, it's 14 years since we opened Cava." It's like, "Oh, well, how old are you?" And he was like 10, and I was like, yeah. "Oh." I was like, <laughs> and "Now I feel really old." Um, I know, and they keep getting younger, and I just keep getting this, older. I keep feeling. I absolutely. I don't know if it's post COVID and. The idealism has been knocked out of me. I, I I keep meeting all the all the staff who come in now are just like, oh, I'm 22, I'm 21, I'm 20. I was like, oh my god, I'm nearly twice your age. Uh, <laughs> or I didn't feel twice people's age before COVID. Um, and yeah, it's. Uh, but I said, what what um uh you you had dirt candy in a different location, didn't you, when you opened first? Yeah, I had it in a much smaller location. Uh, it was like two three hundred and fifty square feet, eighteen seats, tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, and did and, it have uh, the same concept in terms of that tasting menu that like that it was it much 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 more casual uh i mean it was a la carte so yeah it was i mean it was also in a really crappy location i couldn't be uh, fancy uh so yeah and it, because it was so small and there were so few of us working um casual would be an understatement you know people would be like can i get some water and i'd be like yeah there's the water pitcher I just don't have time to get it for you. And actually, while you're pouring yourself a glass, could you just walk around the dining room and, and do that for everybody? And they'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. So very casual. Um, and uh, so Alec, and then, yeah, uh, about two years into the opening of the bigger space, we went to uh, full-on tasting. And now, actually, one of the best changes we've made, and, and this is through uh, because of uh, COVID, um, where we only do one tasting menu and it's smaller than the, the big one that we used to have. And it's actually made such a big difference. I cannot tell you, uh, we went from having a 26% food cost down to 14. Wow. I know. <laughs> that's like, that's what I learned through the pandemic. It's I was like, why am I doing all this? It's like, let me just serve the best food I can and make it not simpler. I would still say we're pretty fussy, yeah. but, uh, um, it's uh, it's just made this huge difference. I need a slightly smaller staff in the kitchen. We're not as accommodating either. We used to accommodate every single uh, allergy or uh, dietary restriction known to man, woman. And mm. uh, now it, I just can't do it. I used to have basically an extra person on staff dealing with all the dietary restrictions. Yeah. And we That's didn't do good. a good job of it. Yeah, yeah. And do you do you offer vegan as well in that, or is it just one menu and that's it? No, that's what we'll do. We'll do vegan, vegetarian. And if we can accommodate something, like just leaving something off or make a really simple change, we will, but nothing else. And uh, it has fundamentally changed the way we run this business. I'm able to pay everybody more. We're saving a little bit of money. My my uh, very slim margins are not as slim as they used to be. That, that 10% difference in food costs for us was huge. Yeah, no, uh, uh, absolutely. And like when you're, um, how many courses do you offer at the moment? We offer five with a couple of like little, a couple of little snacks. And, yeah. And um, uh, well, like what, what, when, when you're, when you're trying to create a dish or you and your, your team or whoever, whoever it is, um, it's, it, what, where do you, where do you look to, or is it, do you, do you, are you, I suppose product driven more, or do you do you find I suppose you get inspiration from different uh, different food cultures, uh, or is it just just New York per se, which is also <laughs> a melting pot? Um, no, I think we take uh, we sort of try to start with the season, and uh, you know figure out what's really in season, and uh, then 
then kind of go from go from there. It's hard. I, I think, as you would probably know too, it, it's hard to talk about inspiration because just, for me, it just sort of happens. We, you know, we come up with an idea. Uh, I, we have a for the next menu. We have an onion dish, and I knew I wanted to do something with onions. And our first idea was um, we would do, and we always have a, cav- a seaweed caviar yes. uh, dish at the beginning to start off, and. Uh, um, onions and caviar pair really well. And we're like, okay, let's do something with uh, onions and caviar and what's sort of going to be the starch. And we started thinking about doing something like a scallion pancake. And uh, I was making this dish with one of my sous chefs, uh, Michaela, and she started making scallion pancakes. And then we started looking at them and we were like, oh, well, wouldn't that be fun if we could turn them into bagels and making scallion pancake bagels? And that does take inspiration from New York. And we're like, oh, you know, we're right around the corner from Russ and Daughter. So can we make this into like an appetizing plate with all the different kinds of like smoked fish and use onions instead to sort of replicate locks and um, have like a smoked white fish salad. And it sort of tumbles from there. And, you know, our first experiments are awful. <laughs> and then well, and then we figured out. <laughs> you, you never get to see yeah, all the failures. That's what people don't get to see. I know when they see a lovely dish and they go, wow, did you just did you just arrive at that point? And they're like, no, it's like. No. <laughs> um, and uh, what if, I suppose, what, where do you see yourself, I suppose, as a like as a rest as a chef restaurateur? um in the over the next few years i mean i certainly feel like when well, i'm 43 now but i like i think i have to to try and definitely we were talking about young chefs and nurturing young chefs and making sure that they can run the kitchen and that but i, I definitely feel that this decade is is one where i need to um just make sure that um i have systems in place because i think I think definitely in in my early years, like systems was the last thing I ever thought about, and <laughs> I never thought like it was just like go in, cook, and yeah. and and see what happens and have a great time. But I think the the more staff you have and the the older you get, it um, it certainly changes your um, changes your outlook. Yeah, it does, and we're we're sort of trying to figure that out right now. I am five years older than you. And uh, I keep I thinking thought you were younger than me. So look, there you go. No. <laughs> oh, wow. um, and uh, I keep thinking about 50. And by the time I turn 50, Dirt Candy will have been open for 15 years. And, you know, I have to really figure out what we want to do. And my lease will be up. And, and I don't think I, I will probably resign for a couple of years, but I'm not resigning a 12 year lease because I'm not I'm not going to be doing, you know, on the line at 60. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm not as, sure romantic, exactly. as romantic as it sounds. I'd love to die on the line, <laughs> yeah. like fall over on the line. But I don't think that that is going to happen. <laughs> no, um, as I fall into the fryer tonight. Yeah, um, I actually my, my vision is falling back onto the cooker. <laughs> uh, and uh, but yeah, uh, I'm sure it, it would it would leave an awful mess for those who are going to have to clean up. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not an open casket um so uh you know we're we're starting to try to figure that out how what what does that mean for dirt candy and, and what does it mean for me and and does it run without me and how much of a step back can i take i have an amazing team and uh i think we have over the last couple of years really put these uh put a lot of practices in and we're so much more organized and there's so many lists and it's so much different than when i opened it and it was like you know well i don't know what we're, i guess we're cooking tonight yeah, <laughs> we just have to be ready like, to open at 5 30 i think i'm pretty much in the same in the same boat where as as, as you and just like literally yeah like the white like the wild west you know like yeah. shoot from the hip and go 
<laughs> open the doors and make up specials and just go, go, go. And uh, I think, yeah, you have to kind of uh, realize. And maybe it's, I mean, I, it's the younger guys seem to be seem to be a lot more on the ball than I was when I was in my 20s. They seem to uh, really, um, I suppose, enjoy these, this, the, the, the systematic nature of things. And particularly some of them are just love lists and um, more and more. And- and rules and they're like oh i really yeah, like yeah. the structure i'm like wow this is great and you know or as much as i sometimes complain about uh young staff uh i really appreciate how much they know what they want and they're able to say no and um they forced the entire i think industry to sort of reconcile itself with um how we operated and you know they're like no i, I really want my five days and i'm not going to work six days and or seven yeah. days and you know, 15 hours a day, whereas, you know, I would have been, and, and again, it was a different time, certainly when I started, because there weren't that many jobs where I'd be like, oh yeah, of course, I'm like, whatever. I'll just be here 24 hours a day. And I don't know, why would I take a day off and you're not going to pay me? That's even better. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think absolutely. And and it's, it's like at one point you can kind of say, oh, it's, isn't it sad that we can't work like that anymore? But then on the one side, I think it's better that, um, our staff are saying, look, I want to do four or five days and I don't want to work um, 15, 17 hour shifts. <laughs> and, and they can articulate that because um, I think I would have just been afraid to ask for okay, where if you if I had to ask for my break, it's like, sorry, <laughs> did, uh, my that's like I would have been petrified. And that's just something that the, the younger generation are not just like, sorry, when is my break? And I like I still inside me going, sorry, what did you say? Um, <laughs> break. Uh, but um, yeah, like it, it does make you it does make you realize um, uh, how, how, how much the industry has come on. But I, I still think I mean, for, from your point of view, like and, and I think from the, the times you've spoken of Food in the Edge and I, I, I would class you. I don't know if you would think of yourself as 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 a political chef or i don't think i wouldn't say politics in in the in the in the narrow sense but in a very broad sense sure. I, I think you're quite political and um uh, like what do you still think needs to needs to change in the i mean we mentioned a few about like uh, or you mentioned them about restaurants in in america being the second biggest employer but it's still being very ill-defined i mean like what what ways would you think the industry needs to change over the the next five or ten years to um, uh, to make it a little bit better for for those. <laughs> well, I think there's a, a couple of ways. One, uh, and some of this is probably more particular to the states. Um, we uh, we really have to figure out as an industry how to um, operate as a business, and and I really don't think that uh, that's what we've done. You know, we've been so proud of these slim margins, and it's so not sustainable and it really basically broke us all at the beginning of COVID, which to be fair, nobody knew it was going to last this long, but even, you know, a bad week for the entire industry, basically it collapsed. And uh, I I think overall we have to figure out how to turn those slim margins into actual real margins. Uh, But to do that, um, we, uh, we need to start charging more for food and we need to keep educating the public because I, we, so incredibly undersell what we do and the the public has gotten really used to that which i understand um and and there is a need uh for uh food that isn't absolutely totally expensive but if you're you're dining out it's expensive and there's a lot of labor that goes into it a lot of costs and and food isn't cheap 
Um, and, and I think we've all subscribed to this narrative that, you know, food is cheap and, and that's what people have gotten used to. And, and, it, and it broke us. And then again, in the States, um, we really need to figure out ways to take care of our employees more because it's just not something we do. And, and it's made the industry very, very fragile. And that's why you've seen, I think, so many people uh, leave the industry over the last couple of years. We certainly didn't make it look very appealing over COVID. Um, and uh, it, it really, I, to me, it's sort of akin to the great brain drain that was talked about a couple of years ago. We're having the great hospitality drain and uh, we're not making this industry uh, seem appealing for the next couple of generations. And what we do is so fundamentally important to our community and to, you know, the, the continuation of the uh, sort of creativity of food. And uh, I don't think by and large, most people think of, you know, food as important as, you know, music or art or theater. And, and it is, it's incredibly important. It's how not only do we feed people, but uh, you see the culture of a community through it and you can actually like taste it. And uh, unless we make the uh, industry more appealing, we're, we're going to lose that part. Yeah. And I actually, even though you said that they might appeal more to the States, I actually think all of those um, issues are, I mean, they perhaps are elsewhere as well. I mean, they're certainly in, 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 um, in, in Ireland. Um, and I definitely, I definitely think that we have fallen into this, uh, as you say, that the narrative of food, food is, uh, food is um, food is cheap, um, and I, it's it's such a difficult hole to get out of. I really think that the, the 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 supermarkets play this game with the the farmers in the same way that we play the game with the customers. Like that, we 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 continue to, to try, and and we're I don't know if it, in the states if it's happening, but there's kind of like inflation going on in Ireland at the moment, and you're talking about six to ten percent inflation, but we can't put our prices. We couldn't put ten percent on our prices. I mean, I tried to look at them and I put about two and a half percent maybe or 0 0.5 on and it is it, we have I suppose as you said like I mean the the not the real things but when we think about going to the doctors or going to the I don't know like uh, going to serious things I mean right. we, we never question those prices I mean the doctor now to visit the doctor for 15 minutes is about 65 75 euro and people say, oh, yeah, it's the doctor. And but then it's like food. Oh, like, well, I need something for 10 euro. And you're going, yeah, but so I, I still think in people's minds um, that the, the expectation is there. And I think that that has such a colossal effect on everything, because the cheaper you need food to be, the worse it's going to be produced, the worse the, the farmer is going to get paid and the worse the people are going to get paid. So it's this just this large thing. But I still think the government are. Um, I mean, uh, possibly in, in Ireland have the, the the blinkers on, and I think that they they still think that the industry can just contain itself in that way, in that unregulated way. Because I mean, we we mentioned at the start we're we're, we're short tourists, we're short staff because we did have a massive drain as well. There are not enough people. Um, places aren't not as many places are open. Some have closed. My friend closed her bakery. Uh, there's another butcher shop closing, like lots of different. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's because people are tired. Like they yeah. went through COVID and they, they said, you know what, I, I, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I think that there are the two things that we, we definitely need to do are how do we make it more attractive for our employees, whether it's chefs or floor staff or 
whatever it is. And the second one is definitely how do we educate people to realize that just because food is expensive does not make it elitist in terms right. of going to a restaurant. I think people have got used to going to a restaurant maybe three times a week and said, oh, yeah, it's cool. It's cheap. But maybe, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, OK, I wasn't from a particular uh, big food family, but going to a restaurant was a monumental thing. It was like really, really significant. Um, and and maybe we need somewhere in between the the literally just I can go out every single night of the week. And I ha- I know people that do not that do not even cook at home anymore <laughs> because it's, they, they live in Dublin and it's just yeah, just they can go out every night of the week and still have a have a wage. And I, I think what we need to try and strike a, a better balance and make the restaurant a little bit better. like the theater or I don't know, like a place where you're not going to pop into uh, every single night. Well, exactly. And, you know, one of the things we did um, over uh, COVID was we started uh, asking for a deposit for reservations. And uh, I, I had sort of fought against this for years, but we really did have so many no-shows constantly. And I, it's because people think restaurants are disposable and you know either they're like no maybe i'll go out or i won't but i'll just make a reservation anyways or they make multiple reservations or i don't know they're on their way here and they just find somewhere else they'd rather eat more um and you know the backlash we get uh, from customers when we can't when we actually do charge them is amazing when they call up and they're like but you charged me i'm like yeah but you just canceled like Five minutes ago if you canceled five hours ago of course we wouldn't but yeah. it's like nine o'clock and you canceled your nine fifteen reservation um I'm, I'm not gonna be able to fill that spot and they're like well i don't think that's okay and i'm like well if you went to a doctor's uh if you had a doctor's appointment they would charge you or if you bought the tickets to a theater and you didn't show up and they're like, but it's it's not the same i'm like it's exactly the same i have the staff here ready to serve you we prepared the food because we confirmed your reservation and sort of getting them to realize that. And so I've become quite strict with it. I'm like, absolutely, we're going to charge everybody. It's my I'm own somewhere. sort of like... <laughs> I haven't fight. got to... Maybe, maybe it's your uh, your your age and wisdom. I, I still... We do do... We don't do deposits. We do a credit card and hold yeah. it. We still... I think the Irish people are too uh, too nice, you know, and <laughs> I need a little bit of that firm New Yorkness. But, but because still, we charge them and then they ring up and it's like, Oh, they're so sad, and they're like, and you're just going on. Oh, stop telling me these stories. Uh, and, and and sometimes they don't, they don't, they acknowledge that, yeah, they. But other times it's like, well, that's not fair, as you said, it's not fair uh, because the car's not working, and you try and do the whole. I mentioned like, well, if you were going to a hotel, they, you are not. You have to give 24 hours, and then it's gone. And they keep saying, as you said, well, it's not the same. It's like <laughs> and that is always the refrain. It's oh, it's just it's not the same, and I, I really think I think COVID has helped the situation a little bit because I would have never foreseen asking for a credit cards for Cava, which is much more casual. But it got yeah. to the point during COVID where we had no walk-ins because people were not out in the street, and it was only people who ca- who booked were on the street. And then when someone didn't turn up, we did not fill that table again. And I'm I'm still surprised. Uh, at some people, the way in which it's all, like we don't take that much. It's like in Cava, it's only twenty five euro or something. And in the near, it's it's about half the price of the menu, maybe forty five. But I'm still surprised how people. Some people you you charge them and they never ring back, and they're just happy to lose fifty euro. And I I'm always like, I'm always like going, "Wow, would you like?" It's just yeah, like I just, I mean, maybe some people have too much too much money. I don't know. I would certainly be definitely one to either cancel or to, to at least ring. And, and if someone gives a genuine read, I would still give them the benefit of the doubt. If, 
their cat died or something or something quite genuine. But but the, the best one I had was was someone had said to me, Oh no, I was in a restaurant that in that sounded like yours. And I was like, <laughs> What do you mean sounded? And they're like, it, it wasn't a near, but the name sounded like a near. And I was like, <laughs> she said, I thought I was in a near. And I was like, Well, did you book that restaurant? Because you were booked into <laughs> Mine, it went on and on, it went on back and forth by email. And I still didn't, I still didn't learn where this person had gone to because I was thinking, what restaurant in Goa sounds like a near? <laughs> and, and so in the end, yeah, the, they forfeited their, uh, their money. But, but quite a few restaurants in Dublin now are take, are charging full price. I mean, they don't ask for, like, if you don't turn up and the, and the meal is 95 euro, that that's, you've to, you, it's gone. There's one or two that are taking, you have to pay beforehand. Yeah. Uh, that whole the kind of ticket system that um like places like Alinea and the talk and the that they did and look yeah I mean uh, if you can do it and people get used to it um but I do think it has to be more like the model of the theater or the hotel where yeah look it's you, that's your table you know and yeah. you don't want to be running around like trying to fill a table and like uh particularly when it's at nine o'clock it's like oh my god like it's, there's always those are nine o'clock people that get a bit cold feet and go i'm not <laughs> going out it's the 10 30 people that's the worst for us our last table almost never shows up it's pretty amazing and to be fair i am canadian so i am very nice too and uh if people give me a good enough excuse i usually uh, let it go yeah. also if they just call it's actually the people who just sort of like cancel five minutes beforehand and we don't hear from them we're like oh my like just or don't show up and you're like you know yeah. if you were just called and, you know, at least, you know, tried to bargain with me, I, I might have done something or we will uh, give them a uh, we actually don't charge them until they don't show up. But uh, um, we'll move their reservation to another date. Like we'll try to accommodate you as much yeah, as possible. But... Yeah. If someone said to me, can I just book in the following Saturday? I'd be like, yeah, no worries. Um, oh, wow. So you do a, a table at half ten. That is late. Uh, because we are last like half nine. I mean, maybe ten o'clock, but in, that would be for a, only a small bit. But someone sitting down at half ten, wow, that's yeah. um, makes it a very long, long day. <laughs> yeah, New York rent, JP. I have to do I at know. least two to three turns. I know. And but you do lunch? No, just just in. No, we did lunch during the pandemic, but we're just the space isn't set up for it, and all of us hated doing it. So yeah, no more lunch. yeah. And did you did you did you start did you do a burger place during pandemic or is is it did uh, is that that still going is it? Yeah, we opened right before the pandemic, so it was a really oh, good it was really good timing, and uh, yeah, it's still going. It's in the it's sort of in Tribeca, the Wall Street area, so it's it's definitely I have I have a partner in it, and uh, it's struggling because nobody's gone back to offices yet. Oh, that's the same in, in some places in Dublin where and, and even some of the large get larger caterers that I know, like they were feeding. 1500 people in LinkedIn and now there's, there's no staff or there's 200 <laughs> and it's like, well, there's no people there uh, anymore. But I, uh, I, I just want to finish up with like, and it's a really good point that you made and um, about food as art. And I think I, it's just because I was talking to someone um, about it two days ago, we have a project in Ireland, a governmental project called creative Ireland, and it kind of promotes all the creative enterprises and like food is not one of them. It's so it's like there's film, there is you can get grants for like literature and sculpture and painting. And they do have a token farmer in there or a token something like in the pictures. But when yeah. you read through the whole thing, and I, I just think it's quite sad because for me, food is such a creative, artistic endeavor. Of course, it is a business, 
but but I mean, it's a, it's a business in the same way film is a business, you know, and exactly. And, and, and theater is really, a huge business. Yes, and 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 theater because theater is really such a uh, theater and literature are, are such selling points in Ireland in in terms of our export, and we've been I suppose exporting them for nearly a hundred years, and and I really feel that in the last twenty we kind of started talking about of food and food tourism, and then we just literally. After three years, went oh, this isn't working. Let's just let it go. <laughs> and 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 I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, of course, you've been to Food in the Edge, and we still do it. And we've been to Terroir together and different things. But I think enterprises like that are going to struggle because, again, at the end of the day, when the government needs to cut things, it always seems to cut those things, um, and not I suppose not the uh, I suppose it cuts the things that they think are not necessary. And for exactly. me. As you said, if it's if your margins are three percent, ninety seven is going back into the into the into the environment. But I definitely think that uh, considering food as a creative enterprise is certainly something we need to we need to strive more. Do you know? Well, you know, and I if you think about New York and people come to Times Square and they go to the theater and Broadway, I'm like, you know. There's a lot of people who don't want to just eat at, and there's nothing wrong with this, at like, you know, one of the chain restaurants, if that's where you want to go eat, it's fine. But there's a lot of people who come to the city for a lot more. And if we don't support the businesses, we're also going to lose that tourism because you can th- see theater lots of other places. And we really need to support the industry because not everybody wants to eat in an Applebee's uh, app before they've seen the show or the next night. You know, they want to go out and see, taste a bit of the city and taste a bit of the culture. And do you find like I find this, and it, I mean Galway's like a, a, a micro a microcosm of of New York in the sense that like there's a hundred eighty or a hundred thousand people. We might get a million tourists, and um, but sometimes I find, and maybe the case this is the case in New York, that tourists go to Galway because they love Galway, and sometimes with it, I suppose that we forget about the, that fact because other cities sometimes sometimes try way harder because they have no tourists. And they right. say, well, let's get a food program because it's just that we will have tourists whether or not we, 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 uh, we're there. Do you know, it's not like we're bringing them. And maybe that's the, the case of New York as well. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're going to come to New York because it's New York. Uh, and then you're going to, well, we don't need to fund you or your festival or, uh, or something you're doing because we, they're coming anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely that assumption that New York is New York, but uh, it's changed over the last three years. And, and I think we're going to start to see the ramifications of that. I mean, we've lost uh, thousands of restaurants here, not just like a couple. I mean, the industry mm. o- overall in the States has lost 100,000 restaurants. And uh, so many wow. of those restaurants are centered in uh, New York City. That's uh, it's It's still, I think it's still... I think that it's going to be happening for the next year. I mean, I still, it's it, the fallout of COVID in places. And I think it's a combination of businesses failing, but also a combination of, of people deciding to leave the industry or, uh, or um, I suppose, uh, just um, just call it a day, you know, um, and then say, you know, this is a good break. I mean, it's I, I, COVID gave I gave a lot of people a, an um, an out. Do you know what I mean? That <laughs> it was a kind of strange a strange time, and a lot of people, and even some chefs I know, uh, I've said, you know what, this is a good time to I don't know change career or um, or that. But listen, it has been great talking to you. Um, I hope I will see you in New York soon, or I will see you in Ireland. E- either way, uh, or we might meet somewhere in Europe over a broccoli, <laughs> uh, over uh, and uh, and cook. But look, uh, it's been really great talking to you. Um, 
and I hope that your restaurants uh, continue to uh, to blossom. Oh, thank you, JP. You too. Cheers. Mm.